Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to another special Ukraine war report and episode 167. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. The war in Ukraine is now a constant. And that's a challenge, especially for the people fighting and dying in it. The world got tired of focusing on a pandemic. It could get tired of paying attention to a war in Ukraine, too. So now is a time to stay vigilant. Well, as you know, I spent quite a bit of time here in the pre-war period. And when the invasion happened, I had friends who were in Donetsk, who were in the Ukrainian army, who were writing to us and telling us, we're not going to survive tonight. We've been hit 500 times. Uh, you know, these are graduates at Defense Language Institute. These were my friends. And, you know, as the more I saw of the war going on, the more I thought, I'm done talking. All right. It's time to take action here. So uh, about a month ago, I joined the International uh, Legion here in Ukraine, and I am here to help this country fight, you know, what essentially is a war uh, of, of, its, of ex- extermination. This is an existential war, and Russia has bought it to these people, and they are mass-murdering civilians. And there are people here like me who are here to do something about it. That's our friend of the show, frequent guest, Navy veteran, and terrorism analyst Malcolm Nance. He joined us on this show most recently, a little over a month ago, in episode 158. And soon after, he joined the International Legion of Territorial Defense. He's there now, repelling the Russian invasion and assisting the survival of Ukraine. I knew he was doing it, but I couldn't share it. And this week, he made it public. And the world has taken notice. Malcolm's been doing the rounds on media all around the world. And he's now, almost immediately, one of the single most recognizable faces for Ukraine to the world. Lots of people are talking shit when it comes to Ukraine. But props and respect to our friend Malcolm for putting his own ass on the line to stand with Ukraine. He's always been a man of principle. He's always been a man of action. And now he's there fighting alongside other American veterans and volunteers from all around the world who have joined the good fight, as we've covered on this show from the start. Malcolm is running to the sounds of the guns again, and I can't wait to have him back on Independent American soon to tell us all about it. But until then, he's another example of a helper. So be safe out there, Nanstradamus. Malcolm Nance is part of the fight now. And Ukraine is punching back hard. They're killing generals. They're sinking Russia's biggest warship. They're winning the battles for hearts and minds worldwide. And it looks like, at least for now, they're winning. I said it months ago, before you heard it anywhere else, Malcolm and I talked about it. Ukraine can win this. Ukraine can prevail. Russia can lose. Most didn't believe it two months ago. Most didn't see it. Most are often wrong. 
I told you Ukraine could win, but it would depend on the support they got from the outside. It would be defined by their own unique courage, but the outcome would depend on whether or not they got enough support from the West and from the U.S. specifically. And they're getting weapons now, and they're getting leaders like Malcolm now, and they're winning. But they're also losing. Because as Navy SEAL Chris Fussell added recently on this show in episode 164, nobody really wins in a war like this. Ukraine's lost thousands of countrymen, hundreds of children, dozens of towns, and maybe soon cities like Mariupol, which they didn't have to lose. Had the U.S. enforced a no-fly zone? Had the U.S. put Lend-Lease in place? Had the U.S. cut off buying Russian oil sooner? Had the U.S. sent the MiGs? Had the U.S. done more? And had the U.S. done it faster? Ukraine could have won more and won faster and died less, lost less. But it's never too late to do the right thing. The threats from two months ago, when the war began, still remain. We can't get cocky about Kyiv not being taken, or Russian tanks and troops being pulverized, and choppers being shut down, and generals being killed. That's all good news, but it's far from the end state. And the situation is extremely fragile, as Zelensky continues to emphasize. Americans want everything over fast. Americans want everything to be like the drive through 1991 Gulf War. Americans don't want it to be like Iraq, not like Afghanistan, not like Ukraine. I said Ukraine could win. I also said it could take decades, like Afghanistan. So strap in, not just for the fight, but for the long fight, for the Ukraine war as a constant. Ukraine may still be a war that our kids fight in, or maybe our grandkids fight in. And this still doesn't end until Putin is gone. After all the dead kids, after all the people raped, after all the allegations of genocide, more people understand that now. And the fact remains, this doesn't end until Putin's gone. But what if it takes years? What if it takes longer than the next election cycle in America? What if it takes until after the Democrats likely lose the House and Senate this fall? And what if it takes until after Trump declares his candidacy for president again? And what if it takes until after he's nominated again? And what if it takes until he beats Biden in 2024? Or even if he doesn't win, until after America rips itself apart around the Biden-Trump rematch? No matter how that political war ends. Just like the war in Ukraine, it will be long, costly, and painful. And Putin can wait for it. Putin is likely counting on it. How many javelins and planes will the U.S. be willing to send to fight Putin's protracted war against Ukraine and the Donbass if America is burning itself to the ground? You see, Putin has a long view, and he's willing to take the pain for a long time. But are we? Because the stakes have never been higher. Five, yeah. Five, 
Mix is high. What you talking about? Yeah, stakes are high. But what's the political landscape like now? How will Ukraine impact the midterms here in the U.S.? And how will Ukraine impact the 2024 presidential race? Will there be a viable independent candidate to provide an alternative to Biden and Trump? Or to capture enough votes to swing it one way or the other? Ross Perot is often dismissed. But people forget that he got almost 19% of the vote in 1992. And without Ross Perot, there's no President Bill Clinton. Without Ross Perot, George Bush is president for a second time. What if the reverse happens in 2024? What if Adam Kinzinger runs as an independent and takes enough votes from Biden to swing it to Trump? Or what if Bernie Sanders jumps in? Or what if someone we haven't even considered yet jumps in? Whoever it is, whatever it is, while most of America probably hasn't considered it, Vladimir Putin has. And every day America denies the pending political war at home is a day Putin is celebrating, a day our enemies across the world are celebrating. And on this week of 420, the day when the world celebrates cannabis, joints aren't the only thing being burned down. Our norms, our unity, elements of our founding values are being burned down torched in 2022 it's all on fire let us burn one from end to end and pass it over to me my friend for two months on this show we've looked at the military and foreign policy developments strategies and tactics and we've looked at the geopolitics but what about the domestic politics If the outcome of the war in Ukraine is dependent upon American support, nothing could change that support more than the election of Donald Trump for a second time. So could it happen? What's happening now? In this episode, we're focusing on the American politics of the war in Ukraine with one of the most well-known political analysts in American politics and one of the most controversial. He's a Republican turned Democrat, but sort of an independent? Honestly, I don't know what he is, but I'll ask him. And I'll ask him to help us pull apart the domestic political war that will shape the one in Ukraine. It's our guest, the one and only Steve Schmidt. If you follow politics, you know Steve Schmidt. Steve is a political strategist who worked on many major Republican political campaigns, including President George W. Bush, California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Arizona Senator John McCain. Schmidt was senior campaign strategist and advisor to John McCain's 2008 presidential campaign, and he pushed McCain to select Sarah Palin. Schmidt's also the founder of the Lincoln Project, the controversial group founded to focus against Donald Trump. It raised over $90 million, became the darling of the left and MSNBC, and reportedly got a call from Biden after his victory to thank them for their help. 
Then it kind of imploded after reports swarmed about its handling of sexual misconduct allegations against one of its co-founders, John Weaver, and questions about the management of its finances. Steve is a major player on the American political landscape. He's a regular on cable news. And for many, he's the closest thing to an independent they see in the political dialogue. Steve was a Republican until he left the party in 2020 to declare as a Democrat. I asked him about that and about the state of our politics, about mask mandates and all of it via Zoom. Now, unfortunately, our conversation got cut short by some technical issues because, well, it's 2022. And this is the year of shit like that happening, right? But before we got cut off, we got into some really good stuff. And I hope Steve will join me again to pick up where we left off. But it's still a really good conversation about the war happening in America around the wars, both the war in COVID and now the war in Ukraine. From the war in Ukraine to the American war over masks, the fighting is nonstop. The pace is exhausting. The stakes are high and the casualties are mounting and it's all burning down. And this week was another flashpoint as a Trump appointed judge overturned the national mask mandate and masks came down on airplanes and buses around the country. And look, no matter where you stand on the American mask wars, try to see it through the eyes of a little kid. They're stuck in the fire of all this chaos and nonsense. Understanding all this, especially the inconsistency and constant changes for my three and six-year-olds, really sucks. It would be really helpful if everyone was on the same page, especially, or at least, in government. We have clarity and consistency on wearing shoes and shirts in restaurants. This doesn't have to be that much harder. So I ask everybody, think about it through the eyes of two little boys or two little girls growing up in this country. Maybe this issue is another example of why this is a moment for independent Americans in particular. Maybe we can bridge some gaps. Maybe we can find compromise and common sense solutions. Maybe we can get things done that make things better. Maybe we can lead. Maybe we can quell the fires and stop the burning. We can't stop the war in Ukraine, but maybe we can reduce the wars here at home. Maybe. We'll see. But it starts with being the change we seek. It starts with us, in our families, in our school boards, on our social media accounts, in our local elections, and in our everyday life. It's a chaotic time, but we can each do our own small part to make it a bit less chaotic or at least less combative. In a time of war, it's really hard to be peaceful, but it's often what's needed most. When things get the hottest, that's when we need to stay the coolest. That's the time we need to stay frosty. And that's the time we need to stay vigilant. Welcome to the political war around the war in Ukraine. Welcome to the political war around the culture wars in America. Welcome to a different kind of World War III, the political one. One that could very well burn it all down. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 167. If you don't like my
Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country, around the world, inside Ukraine and anywhere you can hear my voice, we are going to continue our focus on the war in Ukraine, but from a different angle. I am very grateful to be joined by one of the most influential political strategists in America, maybe in the world, someone you are very familiar with if you have cable television, and a guy who could be my stunt double, uh, the great and powerful Steve Schmidt finally joins us here on Independent Americans. Welcome, Steve. Good to be with you, Paul. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm excited to chop it up with you. I've been uh, hoping I could get you on the show for a long time because of how many things we focus on that I think overlaps in your work. Um, it's four, We're recording this on 420, so I'll wish you a happy 420. It's a political issue that I'd love to talk Got about, it. too, that we've covered on the show. Um, but before I get to that, before we get to Ukraine, before we get to independent politics, I'd love to talk about Evan McMullen, who's joined us and is going to join us again, I think, next episode. Um, a question I ask of everybody. Where are you, Steve, and how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I am um, talking to you today from Toronto, Canada, um, and uh, things are good up here uh, north of the north of the border. And um, the uh, you know the world is in a uh, world is in a moment of change. Right, we're at a hinge of history, and we're seeing that play out in a, in a pretty profound way. Being in Toronto, uh, you're a guy who understands kind of the retail politics and the grassroots politics. How does it how different does it feel in Toronto versus being in Utah or somewhere else in the States right now with the war unfolding? I mean, look, you know, you know, being in Utah, right? Like, you know, I mean, there's COVID's been over in Utah for two years, right? <laughs> at least, yeah. At least right? yeah. yeah. Um, you know, different, different deal up in Canada and California and you know, look, I, I think that, um, you know, this is this is important to understand. I think that as we as we come to the end of of government mandates and, and such on COVID, you know, I have a point of view that it that, you know, COVID has exposed the hypocrisy of America's elites like no issue since prohibition. Um and so everybody kind of looks to where the skirmish line is, right? Where's the fight line in American politics, right? Is it an ideological line, right? Is it a vertical line through the through the midfield? Is it the fifty? Um, you know, certainly, you know, during my time, you know, running presidential campaigns, you go back to the Bush carry race, you know, that period of time. I mean, we debated very hyperbolically, right, between the difference, you know, I guess, between a just and an unjust society was, you know, the delta between the Democratic top preferred marginal tax rate of 39 percent and the Republican preferred rate of 35 percent. Right. Um, you know, I, I don't think that's the line that defines American politics anymore. And I, I think the line that defines it is you know, the the a horizontal one, it's an over underline. And the, the great dividing line in American life is who's got a college degree and who's got a high school diploma. Right. And that and that line sets that sets a pain line. Right. You know, you're a welder, you're a lineman, you work in construction, you're going to get injured. Um, you know, there's there's only really one way to, I, I think, as a white collar worker to get injured. Um, I managed to do it right. You can you can fly three hundred fifty thousand miles a year for a decade and and wind up in a back surgery. Mm -hmm. um, but the pain line, uh, the risk line. I, I mean, I have a lot of people who, 
you know, they bought RVs and went to national parks and Zoom worked for two years, right? They're in Hawaii, they're in wherever. Um, you know, if you had to go to the hospital, you had to go to the firehouse, right? You didn't, you didn't stop delivering services. You didn't, you didn't stop taking risk. Um, so we have a, we have a totally different risk assessment in the society. Um, and then you have a prosperity line, right? You know, you have 400, you know, 40% of the country doesn't have $400 cash available. And, you know, and I think more than anything else, that's like, that's what's driving this moment. And, and I think like a lot of the coverage of that moment that, 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 that exists in the Acela corridor between, you know, the Lincoln Tunnel and, and Washington, D.C., you know, might as well be observing politics from the backside of the lunar base, right, you know, right. for how connected it is to how like, you know, people in the country actually are living their lives. I want to I want to pull that apart because I, I'm kind of framing up this moment as, um, you know, maybe we're on the verge of a world war. Maybe we're already in a world war, but there's definitely a political world war happening and definitely a, a, an extensive ongoing protracted political war here in America that you've been highlighting that I've been covering. But I want to I want to stay focused on this point you're making, because I think it's one that resonates, especially with independence. Um, if you're rich, you had a pretty good pandemic. Right. Like we know lots of people who are rich, who had a great oh, yeah. pandemic. Right. Or especially if you don't have kids, if, if you're in a certain you know p- political status or, or financial status. But then there's kind of the rest of the country. And we're having this conversation as the mask mandates come down on planes and becomes a dividing point again. I want to I really want to get to Ukraine because I'm not sure. And I want to probe with you how much national security might finally matter in a midterm and a presidential. But staying on this war around covid. Is there anything that's hurt the Democrats more with independence? Because I know we've got defund the police. You've got other issues like that, the the scaremongering around socialism and the Tucker Carlson's of the world. But I feel like the fight over COVID has driven driven moderate people away from Democrats. Is that your read as well? And if not, how would you evaluate the impact going into the midterms for the Democrats? For sure. Right. I mean, so like you have a couple of things, right? Is that there's been there's been three occasions in the last 122 years where the incumbent president's parties picked up seats in the first midterm. Last time it happened was 20 years ago um, in the O2 race. And I and I worked at the congressional committee when we when we did that, right? And it was after 9-11, it was a national security election. And you know, before that it happened in 1934 and 1902. Then it's a redistricting year, right? So, right, that that puts additional headwinds headwinds onto it. And then you look and you have this discussion, right? So what do we do? Right? If you're Democrats and you and you want to win, people are like, well, we just gotta tell more of the story. People will be grateful for the things we've passed. When people learn more about the things we've passed, they're gonna say thank you. Um, they're going to have gratitude. And I think it really misses the moment because the country's not in the mood to say thank you to its politicians. It's in the mood to say fuck you to its politicians. And, and once you kind of understand, once you understand that, right, I think like you, you, you get into the space we're in. So, so, so what is it, right, that's going on in American politics? Well, so you have a couple different types of candidates, right? Let's let's look at um, 
the uh, J.D. Vance in, in Ohio is a great one. Uh, Mandel, who's running against them. Let's say one of those two is the nominee. What those guys want to do, right, is they want to go to Washington, hook up with Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, right? And they basically want to fuck half the country, right? They want to punish half the country. They don't like politically. We're going to do things to antagonize them, to demean them, uh, to do anything we can to hurt them, right? Now, voters, right, look at all of this, right? And what, they, what they're voting for, they're not voting for change, right? They're not voting for hope, right? What they're voting for is to balance risk. Right. So in 2018, after two years in Trump, you had millions of Republican voters, right, joined in a coalition of independents and Democrats, gave Nancy Pelosi the speakership. Right. I voted a straight Democratic line. Right. The, probably if you want to make a generalization. Right. This is this is Republican suburban women. Right. That mm-hmm. that nope, we're going to put a check on this guy. That coalition held together for two years. Right. Fell apart below Joe Biden, held for Joe Biden, who wins the presidency by 45,000 votes across three states. And now it's completely falling apart. Um, you have inflation at 10 percent in Utah. You have it at 8 percent nationally. National Democrats, well, it's not an issue. Don't worry about it. Right. This isn't relevant to your lives. All of this. Right. In this in this moment in in time. Right. People look and they say, well, what we're going to do is we're going to balance risk again. We'll put these guys back in charge. They have crazy people for sure. Trump's a pig. But right. They're the people who are blocking the woketopia from coming to get me. And so. Right. It's the balance of risk and it's constant hedge. That's what's driving our politics. And nobody, with a few exceptions, Tim Ryan in Ohio is one of them, right, is communicating through an American prism, right? right? What's the aperture? Well, what we share in common is Americanism. We're American citizens. I'm not going to talk to you like we're in a civil war. I'm not running to punish anybody. I'm running because I want to make the country peaceful prosperous and to do it for our kids and grandkids, which is what the work is supposed to be and what is what has gone so badly and profoundly off the rails in the country. And, and it's a test, right? Like if 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 Tim, if, if Ryan can win and be a pragmatic, common sense Democrat, then it's kind of a, a proof point, right? In, in that he's, you know, somebody that's more moderate, someone that's trying to be a different kind of Democrat, or it's another case study in how a moderate Democrat loses because he doesn't really hit hard enough or represent the base that wants my fighter against your fighter in the ring, right? The, the J.D. Vance versus the AOC as the politics have devolved around that, right? So I guess I want to pull it back and ask you, as we kind of look through it through the prism of, of independence, right? You're 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 classified as unaffiliated or independent now? You were a Republican. I registered Right. I registered as a as a Democrat, you know, like a year and a half ago. But, you know, um, can I can I, I ask you that, that on that one? Because this is a question we probed a lot. Right. Um, you know, there are a lot of folks that are Democrat by default. Um, and then there are folks like me that are unaffiliated saying none of the above. Right. And uh, why 
why did you choose to become a Democrat and not stay unaffiliated? I know in places like in New York City, you can't even vote in primaries. We don't have open primaries. So there's sometimes a practical application of folks say, I want to have a voice in the primaries. But what's what's your rationale? And strategically, and I want to go back to Ukraine and other issues, for other independents that are listening, that maybe watch you on MSNBC or listen to this show, um, what, what, what would you advise them to do as a political strategist to have the most impact, whether they're in a, a purple state or a red and blue state, as unaffiliated, people who have not chosen a party? So why, why are you a Democrat and what would you advise other people well, like I me think, to do? OK, so so let's let's we everybody knows, right, that these both of these political parties got a lot of problems. Right. I don't I don't think that's I don't think that's news to anyone. In my career, anybody that I ever met that was basically all the good people are in my political party and all the bad people are in the other political party, I always thought that person was a moron, right? Um, anybody who is like all the good ideas are in my party and all the bad ones are in the in the other party, right? That's the same, right? So I, I grew up in a state, right, where the Republican Party um, was the good government party. Right. In a Democratic state that would occasionally be put in power. Right. Every couple of elections to keep the Democratic Party from stealing the state blind. Right. Or um, to bankrupting the state. Right. And that that state was that state was New Jersey. Right. But there was not Tom Kane and Christy Whitman. Right. These people were not conservatives. Um, so I I as a moderate. Right. You know, um, where there were moderates in both parties. Right. I, I, I was a I was a Republican. Um, both political parties. Right. The first, the Democratic Party. Right. It's the oldest political party in the world. And the Republican Party is the third oldest political party in the world. Right. Um, they are they are profoundly important institutions in the history of the country for the advancement of human freedom and and dignity. And more than anything else over these years, like I, I have hardened it. People were like, what, what is your politics? I am an institutionalist, right? I believe these institutions matter. So there is a malevolence in American life that has always been there, right? Since, since a group of slaveholders and people who opposed slavery came together to declare independence in a document that said all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We have been having a fight in this country, right? It has rolled on through this very moment of our conversation. It was responsible for a civil war in a country of 34 million that killed 600,000. It was responsible for decades of racial terror. It was responsible for Jim Crow. It was the motivation for the people. If you go and you look at the Washington Monument and you see the line of discoloration about a third of the way up, that's where it sat as an unfinished stump for 25 years because of the great offense of the Know Nothing movement at the Catholics donating marble from the Vatican, it was thrown in the Potomac River, right? So the Chinese Exclusion Act, 
the internment of Japanese. But I, Steve, I love, I love the history. Right. I, I love when you all take us down this path. But let me ask you right. this, right? You, you gave them your jersey, right? You, you, you bought their jersey, right. right? You're on the sidelines, and maybe, maybe this is a bad comparison, but the Redskins won't change their, their mascot. Okay, and and you didn't hold out for the commanders, right? You didn't support another team. You just said, "All right, you know what? I'm gonna go with the Redskins jersey, and and maybe it'll get better over time, or maybe I will be a, a fan and things will change." But I still get to the point of like, for you, the Democrats are a win when they get a guy like you. It's an endorsement, and and I really want to want to pull apart. Why not hold out? Right. Why not say work for me and come to me and create something for me or start something different? Right. The Lincoln Project maybe was close, but why not start something different? Why give them your name for their roster? Yeah, I don't I don't I don't know that. I don't know that I I don't know that I see it. See it that way. Right. That, you know, my name, my endorsement that, you know, any of that, you know, in the Democratic Party. Um, for sure, it all much matters. I, I, I guess what I would say this is this. It never occurred to me in all the years that I was sitting in political meetings that a lot of the people, in fact, most of them, gave a fuck about the party, but not the country. Right. Because I was a guy that really didn't give a fuck that much about the party. Right. But always did about the country. Right. And so you know, in my journey in this moment, right, and, I, and, and part of my conservatism is a pragmatism, right, both about human nature, my, my, my deep skepticism of it, um, and in dim views, right, whether it's my Irish Catholicism, my, my Northeast upbringing, whatever. Um, but, it's, but it's also a pragmatism of we have two parties, right? And right now, in an exigent circumstance, we have one of those two parties, right, is got goofy messaging. And the other of those two parties is in league with a fascist movement, an extremist movement teaming with anti-Semitism. All right. That's it. That's where it cut off. And I know it was way too short. And my apologies. Obviously, I wanted to keep it going with Steve. But the last few years has been kind of full of disappointments. And I always believe a short bit of something good is better than nothing at all. And I hope Steve will join me again soon to pick up where we left off and to go into other directions that we didn't get a chance to cover. Steve is out there making his case every day. He's revered and despised, but I do believe he's someone who's trying to make things better. So follow him on Twitter. Look for him on MSNBC pretty much nonstop. And keep an eye out for him and anyone else that's trying to make an impact. Because as things continue to burn, we need helpers now more than ever. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. The helpers are out there. So check the hashtag, look for the helpers on Twitter and share yours. Many of you have continued to give me great suggestions, great content, videos, pictures, quotes. Keep them coming. And when you're on social, play guest to guest every Wednesday and go to independentamericans.us. You can see all our recent shows on Ukraine and you can see the very short video of my conversation with Steve there. And you can see every single conversation we've done from the beginning of this show. 
We're going to keep the focus on Ukraine until further notice. We're going to continue to talk to analysts, politicians, fighters, leaders. I've got a couple lined up that I'm trying to nail down, and you're going to really, really enjoy it. But we're going to continue to cover Ukraine and support Ukraine in any way we can. We'll keep bringing you more independent content to help you meet this moment, stay ahead of the curve, and stay vigilant. If you go to independentamericans.us, you can also get Independent Americans gear. You can support this show. You can get more background on this show and every other one. And you can also support this show by joining our powerful Patreon community. Thank you to all of our Patreon members. Shout out especially to the new folks, including Marianne Smythe. Thank you, Marianne, for recently joining us. It's great to have your support. You can join Marianne and our Patreon crew at independentamericans.us. Please, as always, go to the Apple Podcast Store if you haven't already and give us five stars. Be sure to subscribe for free and share. Righteous Media is going to continue to bring you the five eyes in this show, in all our podcasts, and everything we do. Independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. And it's coming to you around 420 and every other time with the fire of the Righteous Media team. That's creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, and precise Paula Hernandez. And as always, with the tremendous support of my amazing wife and two boys, you know, after spring break, we're in the home stretch. It's just a couple more weeks of school left until the summer, but it was also 420. And I celebrated 420 today with a long walk among the trees, reflecting on how far cannabis reform has come in the last few years and how far we still have to go. Like the trees I was walking among. The movement for change is only growing stronger and stronger by the day. And our children will inherit a smarter, healthier, happier, less racist, more reasonable, more profitable, more equitable, stronger, better country and world when it comes to cannabis and drug reform more broadly. And this might be the ultimate unifying, positive, non- or post-partisan movement in America. And all politicians and parties would be smart to finally recognize it. My deepest thanks to all the activists who've paved the way to this point, and all those still yet to come. So this 420, smoke them if you got them, or eat them or drink them or whatever you do nowadays to enjoy them. But happy 420, everyone. Let's keep this movement growing, growing like sunflowers. Then you're left in the dust, unless I stuck by you. You're a sunflower. I think your love will be too much. America is still extremely divided. But here at Independent Americans and Righteous Media, we're working to change it. Adding light to contrast the heat of the other political and news shows. So if you're among the 42% of Americans who are independent, This movement is growing, and this is your show. If you're a Republican or a Democrat or whatever Steve Schmidt is and you're not a diehard partisan, this is your show. If you're a concerned person who cares about the future of your country and your world, this is your show. All are welcome. And I invite you to join us and be a part of the solution. And check out the Righteous Media family of podcasts. Firefighters with Rob Sarah is an awesome one and has a new pod dropping tomorrow. Rob Sarah, our fearless leader and firefighter, is again joined by the brilliant freelance photographer Lloyd Mitchell. Lloyd was on scene in the Brooklyn subway last week for the deadly shooting. Lloyd was there. He was taking photos, 
and he was there in the moment. Rob and Lloyd will take you inside that tragic, terrible, disturbing attack and inside the heroic first responders who stepped up to meet the moment. There's also a brand new episode of B-Dorm that posted last week, and it's our best episode yet. Don and Jericho go deep with special guest Pete Sanji. Pete Sanji is a writer and producer who's worked on some massively influential shows like Blackish and Mixedish and much more. And Don and JT got him for his first ever podcast interview. You got to check it out wherever you got this podcast, or you can go to bdorm.us or righteous.us. All our podcasts are there. Join the Righteous family and keep sharing that hope because hope is the oxygen of democracy here in the U.S. and worldwide and especially in Ukraine right now. In this episode, if you check out the video or look on social, you can see I'm wearing a very special shirt. I've got a St. Javelin t-shirt on. I wore it in the show this episode with Steve, and you can get yours. It's a St. Javelin shirt. It's a St. Javelin protector of Ukraine, and it's got an image of Mary Magdalene. And instead of holding baby Jesus, she's holding a javelin missile which is taking out Russian tanks every day all across Ukraine. It's a pretty cool shirt. They also have St. Stinger. They also have St. Enlaw. They also have St. Panzerfaust. They have all kinds of pro-Ukraine flags, stickers, shirts. You can outfit your entire family, your entire movement. I think I'm going to be wearing different versions of their shirts on every show for the next couple of weeks. And it's a really cool effort. St. Javelin was started only on February 16th by former journalist Christian Boyrus to help raise funds and support Ukrainians just as the humanitarian crisis was starting. Christian was concerned about what was happening with friends and family in harm's way, and he wanted to help fundraise to support him. St. Javelin is supported by a team of 20-plus fundraisers and volunteers from the greater Toronto area and in Europe. Many of them are of Ukrainian heritage. And the team is all chipping in, graphic design, logistics, e-commerce, to support this fundraising effort and the humanitarian crisis. And these shirts are blowing up. This entire line is blowing up. And you can help Ukraine. 100% of the profits are donated to Help Us Help, a federally registered Canadian charitable organization focused on humanitarian aid and educational projects in Ukraine. Chris has known Help Us Help for over 20 years, and they've held programs in Ukraine for orphan children, combat vets suffering from PTSD, and the families of Ukrainian veterans who've lost their lives. The organization has delivered more than $25 million in charitable help to projects and organizations engaged in all kinds of humanitarian aid, culture, civil society, and more. Specifically, the funds are dedicated to their Scholars Program, which helps the children of Ukrainian veterans and children of those killed in the war obtain post-secondary education in Ukraine. The program helps with the financial burdens and helps them with life skills workshops to assist them in their development. So stand with Ukraine and get your shirts, get your stickers, get your flags. Go to stjavelin.com. It's also linked in the show notes. Look, t-shirts don't win wars but they can remind folks that wars are happening. And that's not nothing. And it may give people in Ukraine a bit of support and a bit of hope. It's the hope that we need to continue to support because hope is the oxygen of democracy. And despite all the pain, terror, and loss, that hope survives and grows in Ukraine still. And I saw it in an amazing tweet this week. Mike Lee of Green Square Agro Consulting had a tweet. He had a picture 
and it said sunflower seeding has started on this farm in Ukraine this morning, close to where the fighting is taking place. Tractor drivers are wearing bulletproof vests and helmets, and everyone is on heightened alert. But they're growing sunflowers in Ukraine now. Hope. They still have the hope and the vigilance. So much vigilance. So stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. It's growing the freedom. It's growing the sunflowers. It's growing the movement. So we must stay vigilant. You're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant and we're in this fight together, especially now all across America, all across Ukraine, all around the world. We're in this together. From the team at St. Javelin to the Ukrainians on the front lines firing the real ones. From Steve Schmidt to our friend Malcolm Nance to you. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraini. And stay vigilant, America. Righteous Media.